Welcome to the Son of a Preacher podcast. Please sit back and listen to the thoughts and musings from sermons that were first brought to the pulpit four, five, even six decades ago. I am GW, and I am the Son of a Preacher. I'm so happy to be talking to you all again today. Dad first brought this message to the pulpit on July 17, 1957. This was a Sunday night service. Now, usually a Sunday night service was a small small group, maybe 25 to 50 people in the small chapel in the church, a much more casual service than the one on Sunday morning. But by the time it was over, this, uh, at that time, I was a seven-year-old kid, and I would have been at church since about 8 o'clock that morning. And I would get home at about 8, 8.30 that, uh, that evening. A couple hours at home in the afternoon, perhaps, you know, but a pretty long day at church for a kid. But that was the life of a preacher's kid in the 1950s. At least it was the life I was living. The topic on this particular Sunday evening was, Is That Fool's Gold? The scripture was from Matthew, the 13th chapter, the 45th and the 46th verse. And it says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man, a man seeking goodly pearls, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had, and then he bought it. But is that fool's gold? You know, my dad passed down to me an interest in the stories about the Old West, the old pulp fiction novels, the westerns, the Zane Greys, and the one, though, that we really looked at at our house and would tell the stories over and over again is Louis L'Amour. And Louis L'Amour always told a great Western story, great, great ability to, to express in words what it was like to live in the Old West and to see what it was. But one thing that was kind of a recurring plot and not only the Louis L'Amour novels, but all the Western novels, is that of a city boy from the eastern part of the United States. And he would come out to the Old West, and he was outside of his normal element. And somebody in the Old West would sell him a bill of goods, and they would sell him a salted gold mine, a mine that doesn't really have any gold in it. Just a little bit of gold to, to make him think that he was buying a great, great investment. But it was just fool's gold. Basically selling him something that is of no value. So, Dad, with his Louis L'Amour novels, probably 60, 70, 80 novels that he wrote about the Old West. And they became, you know, a part of our family. I mean, the figures that that were the characters that were depicted in those novels almost became members of the family. And we would have long discussions at the dinner table about the different personality characteristics of, of, the, of the stories that were going on, that, that we were reading. And we would read them in order. Mom would read them, Dad would read them, I would read them. I'm not sure my sister read many of them, but, you know, my mom and my dad and I you know, really did read a lot of the Louis L'Amour novels. Very talented writer. Now, he's not Hemingway, but he's still, he was still very talented. And when you take a look at what he had, well, 
I still probably have a dozen of his books that I read on a periodic basis that, that are on my Kindle. You know, the pictures that they put into my head. And I enjoyed the memories uh, that, that I have with my family as we discussed them. And there are always stories about men and women who stood up for what was right, right and honest. And you got to think that we could probably use that today. So the hero in the Western stories is never going to be the guy who tries to swindle the guy from the East Coast. Now, my dad grew up in Oklahoma, and he grew up and he lived around oil, a great deal of oil, none of which, by the way, was part of his life, but it was all around him, and there was great wealth. But in 1929, my dad was 14 years old, and that's when the Great Depression hit, and it greatly changed the life. And suddenly there in Oklahoma, you had, you had the Dust Bowl, and Oklahoma was part of that. And you had families that just barely survived, and, and I'm sure that there were families that didn't survive. But you always had a few, not a lot, but you always had a few who made a lot of money. And I'm not saying that they were swindling anybody, because there was oil to be had there in Oklahoma. There was money to be made. It just, during the Great Depression, was very, very difficult to be the one that was making the money. But these people, the people that my dad knew, that were family friends of my granddad, they, they built their life around wealth. And they found in the long run that money was not everything. And the families that my dad knew when he was a teenager, well, they had a terrible time keeping the families together. Now, don't get the wrong impression of what I think I'm saying here. I don't think anybody is trying to say that it's not good to have money and that a Christian should give away all their money because, you know, it's, it's a terrible thing. It's not bad to have money, but it is a problem if the love of money drives you away from the Lord and drives your life. It's not the having of the wealth. It's the love of wealth. So when you have false loves now, the Bible doesn't say that you should criticize people that have more money than you do. But if that money, if that love of money draws them away from the Lord, then that's not what money is there for. It becomes nothing more than having a salted gold mine, having wealth that is not worth anything. So when you look at what people love and you look at what's going on in the world today, it's very clear. It's been determined many times that church attendance is way down compared to what it used to be, particularly attendance at the traditional denominational churches. But does that mean that fewer people know the Lord? I don't think it does. But it does say in the Bible that you, a person, a person cannot serve two masters. So whatever you do in your life has to be part of how you serve the Lord. And when you look at people that they serve the Lord, then they look at, at what they have going on in their life. Well, the happiest people are the ones who have been able to marry the two, the two sides of their life into one, and have the way that you live your life, have that support the Lord. And then, well, that, that is really how you have true love, true love that will overcome everything. And it takes that type of love to make the world worthwhile. Now, I think most people would agree that having a central purpose in life is good. 
having a reason to get up in the morning, a reason to be happy, a reason to be able to work and, and be able to have a meaningful life. That's good. And it's bad. it's been said by someone, I'm sure, but it's been said that we are born with two things. I mean, every human being that is born into this world is born with two things. The first thing you're born with is the fact that you exist. You're alive. And because you're alive, you're going to be born with opportunity. So you have existence and opportunity. So when you walk and you see a so when you take a walk and you see a beautiful statue in the park or a museum or somewhere, well, that statue, it's carved into existence out of a crude block of stone because someone took the opportunity with that crude block of stone to carve the statue. The crude block existed, right? And it was given the opportunity to become a statue. You've got a mind. You can use it or you can just waste it. Now, we all have the love of God offered to us, and you can put him into the heart of your life, or you can crowd him out to the edges of your life. Many of us work at life trying to find happiness and eternal peace, and we buy a lot of things that we probably don't need trying to find that happiness. So just think back on those two things that we all have. We have existence, and we have opportunity. We should make use of both of them, and we should do that in the service of the Lord. So look what's happened with our Congress over the last few months as they struggle, struggle to keep this country on, on the rails. It's pretty obvious to me. We need to keep praying for our leaders and keep praying that they're able to guide the country in a stable and a sane manner. May the Lord bless you, keep you in peace. I do want to ask everyone listening to this today to help spread the word about this podcast. Help me continue to keep my father's work for the Lord alive. Please tell your friends and your church groups about this podcast. Share it on social media. Let people know that these inspirations are available. There's a new book available on Amazon titled Throwing Ink. It was a compilation of inspiration based on Dad's work. It was written by me, G.W. Stark. 